Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now here's a message from one of the pastors here at The Rock. Amen. Well, so to Christmas season, right? Such a time of celebration. I, um, celebrations have always been part of God's plan, right? You go back to the Old Testament and you see that God established celebrations for the people of Israel. He established celebrations so that they would remember, so that they would honor, so that they would celebrate what God had done in their midst. And it's no different today. We have celebrations so that we can remember, so that we can honor, so that we can celebrate what God has done in our midst. We want to place value on those things. And that's why we celebrate them. Pastor Richard said tonight, you know, the things that we don't celebrate, they become common, right? Pastor Deborah has told us that so many times. I know that's one of the, the thousands of lessons that I've taken from her years of sitting under her teaching is that the things that we don't celebrate will become common, right? And so we celebrate the people that we love. We celebrate moments that we want to remember. And Christmas is just that. It's not just another tradition that we happen to have here on planet earth that just happened to come around. So we threw Jesus's name on it. It isn't like that at all. It's intentional. It's God breathed. He wants us to remember. He recorded it in his word so that we would place value on it because it is valuable. It is a memory, a remembrance of his gift to us, right? What did it do? It made manifest the hidden mysteries of God, right? That had been established since the foundation of the earth, but everybody was wondering, when are these prophecies coming to pass? What is this good word that we see in the Old Testament, in the First Testament? When is this king gonna come? When is this savior coming? The Messiah, the one who would bring peace and unity, the one who would restore all things. When is this going to happen, right? And then all of a sudden, in a moment in time, everything changed. The fullness of time had come. And when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating that moment. Its significance cannot be overamplified. I cannot exaggerate what it means. There is a reason that the entire Western world sets apart days for its celebration. There is a reason because it has impacted the entire world. Every place, there is no place on earth that has not been impacted by the birth of Jesus Christ. It changed everything, and that is why we celebrate, because it is more than you and I could ever have imagined. No one understood exactly how this Messiah would come. No one knew exactly when the Messiah would come. They didn't know that the king would come and begin a kingdom that looked like it did. In their understanding, they had painted all kinds of pictures about the messianic reign and what that was going to look like. And as it turns out, like God usually does, he doesn't do it our way, right? He does it his way. I know in my journey with him, right, I've been walking with Jesus since I was 16, so that puts me at a little over 30 years. One thing I have figured out is when I have a God plan and I know that God wants to do something, I begin strategizing about all the ways that God can do it. Right, I'll give him 10, 11, 12, 13 choices. And you know what he does every single time? 
He doesn't pick any of them. He does it a different way, right? Because he's God. He's like, oh, those are lousy ideas, actually. And he does what he wants to do. And you know what? It was just like that. But there was, there was and there is some scriptures in the Old Testament. And you've heard Pastor Dan in his first two Christmas messages of this season talk about prophecy. Talk about the fact that God spoke what was going to happen. So I want to look before we turn to the New Testament. I want to go to the Old Testament first and look at a couple of Christmas prophecies. A couple of prophecies about the Messiah, the coming King. The first one, if you want to join me there, is in Numbers 24. In Numbers 24, we find this place of a prophet, Balaam. Now, now, Balaam was a prophet who heard from God, but he didn't have a heart after God. Definitely not. You know, he wasn't an Israelite. Uh, Peter writes that, that Balaam loved the ways of unrighteousness. And we heard in our series recently on Sunday nights in the, the, the letters to the seven churches right, that Jesus talks about Balaam, and he said that he enticed God's people to sin, but still just proof that God will use anybody, right, that God used and spoke a prophetic word through Balaam. So we're in uh, Numbers 24, verse 17. I'm going to read with you through verse 19. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. You know, when we read these scriptures in retrospect, it's like, oh, it was right there the whole time. Right? A scepter shall arise from Israel and shall crush through, crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Seth. Edom shall be a possession. Seir, its enemies, also will be a possession, while Israel performs valiantly. Look at verse 19. One from Jacob shall have dominion. And will destroy the remnant from the city. In the middle of these proclamations, there is a messianic prophecy. There are two things that we see right there in the beginning in verse 17. We see a star shall come forth from Jacob. And in verse 19, this one from Jacob will have dominion. Who has dominion but a king, right? This king is prophetically proclaimed here by Balaam. So this is what the first prophecy I want us to look at. Now let's go ahead and flip over to another messianic prophecy later on in time in the book of Daniel. Turn over to Daniel chapter number 9. We're going to read verses 24 and 25. Now it says here 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin. You know anybody who made an end of sin? Jesus, right? To make, it's easy, like I said, in retrospect. To make atonement for iniquity. Jesus. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Jesus. To seal up vision and prophecy. Jesus said he fulfilled all of the law and the prophets. And to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince of Peace, 
There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again. So we see a timeline here, a prophetic timeline of 70 weeks. And he said, you are to know and discern. And in this 70 weeks, there are seven weeks and 62 weeks. If you do the math, the decree that he's talking about, and we're not going to turn there tonight, but the decree that he's talking about, if you want to read it later, is in Ezra chapter 7, verses 11 through 26, right? And this decree happened 457, 457 years before Christ. Seven times seven is 490. You do all the math and there was reason for people who were paying attention, who had known and discerned that there was a star that was going to signal the coming of the one who would have dominion, the one who would bring an end to sin. And there was a timeline, prophetic words had been spoken out. Hundreds of years before the Messiah came. Now I want you to keep those two words in the back of your mind as we go forward and we look again for the third time in the last couple of weeks to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. It says, Now after this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Mag Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Let's stop right there and go ahead and take a look. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to end up reading through this whole passage about the Magi. But um, I want to take it piece by piece as we look at lessons from the Magi tonight. What can we learn from what has been revealed to us here in Matthew chapter 2? So first of all, I don't want to assume anything, right? Let's talk about what are Magi. And uh, you may have, as you hear that word, you might be thinking, oh, the three guys on the camels, right? Because that's how kind of the Christmas story, right? The three guys on the camels that showed up in the stable, right? Yeah, bad history, but it's a good way of compacting all of that into one image, right? So the Magi were basically a cast of wise men who specialized in astronomy, astrology, and natural sciences, right? They were people who studied, people who learned, people who spent time looking through these histories, looking through what had been written down through the centuries, looking at the stars, having a sense of expectancy at what was coming, what was happening on the earth. How could they understand what was going on? Men given to study. They were people who looked at the future with expectation. We see these magi prophesied in a couple places in Scripture, which is up on the overhead, and you can see it there with me. First in Isaiah 60, a couple of Scriptures, it says this in verse number 3, the nations will come to your light. These magi were from other nations. They were not from Israel, right? They were far away, Babylon, Assyria, right? If you read the historian, some people will say maybe as far away as India, right? They had come from far, people who had studied and knew the prophecies and looked and saw the star. It says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Same chapter, verse 6 says this, a multitude of camels will cover you. Ah, that's where the camel idea comes from. Although some would say, hey, they're Persians. Persians didn't ride camels. They rode horses. I don't know. But here it says that camels would come. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba will come. They will bring Gold and f 
frankincense. That's yourself familiar if you know the story of the Magi. And will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. One more prophecy that talks about the Magi. Psalm 72, 10. Let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. Right? All of these things that we see reflected in Matthew chapter 2. Why were the Magi staring at the stars, studying the stars, unless they were looking for something? Do you know Daniel in the prophecy that we just read a moment ago? He was a captive in Babylon, right? Persia, the Assyrian region, had been overcome and taken by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and the people of Israel had been taken captive. So this prophecy wasn't even given. It was recorded way over in Babylon. So there's reason to believe that they knew what Daniel had said, that they had access to these prophecies. And they had been looking for something to happen. When you, put into, when you take into account the timeline, their timeline, and they had been looking to the stars and they see something they'd never seen before. Right, Pastor Dan talks a little bit about that this morning. If you did not hear that message, make sure that you grab it. Right, there are a lot of theories about that star. Some people would say the alignment of three planets or a supernova, right? A lot of different things. Or as he proposed this morning, a supernatural event, right? He's the God who can create stars and do what he wants with them, right? And that's just not my theory. The Word of God actually tells us that. And I'll show you that in just a minute. So here we are. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, and it says this, where, where is he, the Magi are asking, right? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. You know, this journey probably took anywhere from two months to two years. right? It took a long time to make the preparations. You see the star, you don't end up in Jerusalem just like that, right? You see the star, this is the star that was prophesied. This is about the timeline of Daniel. So you begin to make arrangements, write letters, invite your wise friends to join you from other places, right? Get servants, get food, gather the transportation and plan all of these things. So the journey took a while, minimum two months after Jesus was born, which is why I said they didn't show up at the stable. I don't think they lived there that long, right? Nobody wants to stay in a stable just because there was no room at the inn forever. And, uh, right, it didn't smell so good there. <laughs> How did they know it was his star? Because of prophecy. Because they saw the sign and they seized the moment. They had studied the word of God and when they saw God move, when they saw an expectation, they were able to respond to what God is doing. You know who wasn't expected? Who wasn't expected? The Jewish leaders were not expected. They had the same prophecies. You know who wasn't expected? The secular leaders. They weren't expected. It tells us that right there as we continue the scripture. Look at verses 3 through 7. It said, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He wouldn't have been troubled if he was expectant, right? It was startling to him. It was troublesome to him. And all Jerusalem with him. Everyone who lived in the capital at this time, it came as news. They did not know. They had not expected this to happen. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, 
he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And now they quote the prophet Micah. It says, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. The leaders, secular and religious, were troubled by the news. They didn't expect it. They saw it in the scripture, but they hadn't been watching for what God was doing. Our job is to be like the Magi, to get this word of God in us, to pay attention to what God is saying to us, so that when the signs of the times begin to look like the hand of God is moving, we're not troubled, we're not going to hide, we're not caught off guard, but we're like, that's God. God is moving in our midst. And you know what? We've been living in a season where there have been all kinds of crazy things happening. And the fact of the matter is that everybody has an interpretation. Everybody has an idea. But you know the only idea that I'm interested in is this one. The only one that's going to move me is this one. I'm not going to move because the world says to fear. I'm not going to move because the world says it's uncertain. There's nothing uncertain about a life in Jesus Christ. He is my certain tea. And you know what? Hell or high water, I can stay grounded. I can stay founded because I know who my God is. And that's not just for me. That's for you. That's for you. That is the promises of God for us. Look what the word tells us about being a people who live with expectancy, not expectation. Because we put our expectation, this is what I expect. And when it doesn't happen, guess what? We're disappointed. Disappointment is the difference between your expectation and reality. But an expectancy says, God is faithful. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm looking. I'm looking at the stars. I'm looking at the signs. I'm looking at the word, and I know God is going to move, right? I have an expectancy because my God is faithful and my God is true, and I can build my life on that. And these magi were expectant. Look at John chapter 14. Verses 1 through 3. It says, do not let your heart be troubled. Oh, wait a minute. Do we have a choice then? Ah, do not let. We have to choose not to let our heart be troubled. Heart, you're not going to do that. Right? We have authority over our soul. We see that again and again in the scripture. But the opposite Instead of letting your heart be troubled, here's what we should do. Believe in God. Jesus says, believe also in me. Why, why, why? Look, here's why, verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. 
right? He's like, I want you with me. So let me go ahead and tell you the future so that nothing in this temporal world will shake you and will trouble you. You know what? Because I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's asking us to lift up our eyes and take a higher view, to take an eternal view, to take God's view, right? This is a prophetic word in the New Testament. It is a promise of God being foretold of what's going to come, right? He has prepared a place for me and he has prepared a place for you. So you know what? It doesn't matter what it looks like right now. It's going to get better. Your best days are truly in front of you. Why? Because you will be with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You will be with him forever. So we don't have to let the now trouble us because we have a future vision. We have a prophetic word that we can lean into. Uh, into. There's something better on the other side of this life, right? We need to keep the long view in mind because that's the view that God has. He sees the beginning and he sees the ending, not just of your life, but of all creation and of all things. So believe in God. Believe in the provision of Jesus. That Doing that, believing in God, believing in the provision of Jesus is living with expectancy knowing that something good, something godly, God's provision is in our future. And that expectation, it steadies our hearts. It keeps us focused on the things that are truly important, that which is eternal. Lessons from the Magi. Let's see what else we can see from them. Let's go to verse number 8. Verse number 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem, who sent them? Herod sends the Magi. Because remember, Herod has asked now the religious leaders, whoa, where is this Messiah going to be born? And they tell him Bethlehem. So he turns around and tells the Magi, oh, it's in Bethlehem, right? So in Bethlehem, and then he tells them, go, search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may come to worship him. Right? The Magi knew the right time based on Daniel's prophecy. That timeline plus the appearance of the star, they knew that the king of the Jews would be coming. So they went to the capital of the Jewish people. They went to Jerusalem, and I can imagine that they expected when they got to the temple that the king of the Jews the Savior of the world, the Messiah would be there, that everybody would be as excited as they were. But they got there and found out nobody was even looking for him, right? They had to come together and figure out what was the prophecy and where was he to be born. Verse 9 says this. After hearing the king, the magi, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. So, as Pastor Dan talked about this morning, was this a moving star? Right? That's not really how stars work, right? I mean, the earth turns, so we do see different part of the sky. Maybe. Maybe a supernova, maybe the planets. But here's a scripture that encouraged me as I looked at this star. Psalms 19. Psalms 19, verse 1 and 2. Just makes you want to laugh when you're trying to think about what the star was that the Magi saw. It says this, 
the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day, they pour forth speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. Sounds like God's talking through the sky to me, right? That he's communicating to his people. And he chose to communicate using these stars in a way that the Magi could see. They had seen the star before. They had seen the star when they headed out to their journey. And I know tradition would tell us that the star was there and they followed the star all the way in. But the Bible doesn't actually say that. I think we get that idea from the Exodus, right? The cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. So we kind of translate that over to the star. But here's what we know. They saw the star. They packed up. They got their entourage. They prepared because they put it together with the timeline and they headed out. But we don't see anywhere it says the star was there the entire time. It's just not in the scripture. It's a cute story, but it's not in the scripture, right? And if you want to walk with that, go ahead, right? Not a big doctrinal point. But they saw the star and they went out. Here's what I like in the next. The next scripture says this. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. If the star had been there the whole time, when they left Jerusalem to go for Bethlehem, it says that they rejoiced with exceeding great joy because they saw the star. That leads me to think the star had gone away for some time, that it wasn't there, and here it appears again. This is only the second time that we see it in the scripture, that this entourage sees the star again as they head from Jerusalem and take that trek out six miles to Bethlehem. They knew what they were looking for, and they saw God's hand again in their direction. I love, the flat, I love the fact that they were looking for the king of kings. You know, we said that all of Jerusalem wasn't expecting this knowledge, wasn't expecting that the Messiah had come. They weren't looking for him, but there were some that were. Do you remember Anna, the prophetess, that sees when Jesus is brought to the temple? Let's go ahead and read what happens in that situation. Luke 2, verse 38. Talking about Anna the prophetess, it says this, at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him, listen to this, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, right? There were some that were looking. There were some who had decided, right, that even though Nobody else, the leaders weren't looking, the secular or religious leaders, that they knew the word of God. And they were looking and hoping for the redemption of Israel. And Anna would share with them. So we know that there's always a remnant. There's always those who've got their eyes on Jesus. There's always those who have built their life on the word of God. And they're living with confidence that God's word is true. And no matter what the situations and circumstances might look like, their eyes are in the right place. They are looking, God's word is true. No matter what the situation situation looks like, no matter that we are an oppressed people under Roman rule, living under this king, right, who was a tyrant, who was oppressive, that didn't matter because they were looking 
for the redemption of Israel. God has a remnant, and I want to be that remnant, a remnant that lives with confidence in God's word, in confidence in God's truth, in confidence in God's character, that we can trust him, that we can build our life on him because he's the God who's gone before us to prepare a place for us. And if he's gone, he's going to come again for his people. So when we think about the first coming, we can think about the second coming. And it comforts and encourages our heart. You know, when I think about the Magi and the fact that maybe that star only appeared for a short time since they got so excited when they saw it again, that they went anyway. They went anyway. And you know, confidence, when I say that we can live with confidence and we can see that in the Magi's life, confidence doesn't come from knowing and understanding everything that's happening in our world. That actually kind of breeds confusion. Have you ever noticed the more news channels you watch, the more time you spend, you actually walk away with less clarity, with less certainty, with less confidence? It feels like the more information, you know, and if I'm honest, if I'm honest, I went to Bible college, right? I went to Bible college, and when I left Bible college, I was confident in God's word. But then I went to seminary. I didn't have the same confidence. All of a sudden, lots of knowledge and lots of information kind of shook me a little bit, right? I went through this season with a lot of lack of confidence. So let me tell you, the knowledge that comes from this world, the information, you can gain it all, but that is not going to give us confidence. That is not what we base our life on. That's not going to steady us in uncertain times, right? Because being able to figure out all the pieces and being most informed in the natural sense, those are good things, being informed, being educated. I'm not against that, right? I'm all about learning. But I'm not going to put my confidence in the knowledge of this world. I'm not going to put my confidence in all of those books that I studied in seminary. My confidence only comes from one book, right? My confidence only comes from the eternal word that's truth. That's why I had two different experiences. Because in Bible college, I read a lot, a lot of this. In seminary, I read a lot, a lot of other things, right? And the impact, the impact on our soul is much, much different. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 says this for us. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Confidence in God's word has a great reward. When we act and live with the confidence of his word, we're going to have endurance. We're not going to get thrown off track. We're going to see God's word, see that star, see that revelation, see that direction, get one word from God and run toward that word with confidence, right? That's why when we hear the word of God around here, God says, Pastor Dan has taught us to stop to listen to the Holy Spirit. What's that word for me? What is God speaking directly to me? To write it down and then run with 
confidence, right? We write the vision. We make a blanket plain that we might run toward it. Because when we do that, we will have endurance for the long call. We will not be swayed. Oh, so many things that will sway us this year, but so many things are coming that could sway us too. So we have to place our confidence in the unchanging word of God because he has sealed this word by his name, right, with an oath. And then we will receive what is promised. All right. Last thing I saw in looking at the Magi, right, that we can live with expectancy, we can live with confidence, and we should And we should also live with gratitude. The last portion of this section of Scripture in Matthew chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell to the ground and they worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream... Not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Remember, these Magi had studied for years. They had researched. They had discussed. They had written letters back and forth between those who were like them, who studied the stars, who studied nature, who studied the times. Countless hours looking up at the sky. And they knew something, someone wonderful was coming. They knew, according to the prophecy, that there was a king who would bring peace. It was not Herod's kind of peace. There was a peace over the land in the time of Herod, but it was a peace brought by murder. It was a peace sustained by killing. This is not the kind of peace that had been prophesied that this king would bring. The new king that was prophesied would be born under the old king. It would be a collision of two kinds of kingdoms. A power that was taken by force and a power that came in great meekness, born and laid in, of all places, right, an animal's feeding trough in a manger of wood. If you think about that for a minute, he began his life laid in a manger of wood and he ended his life on a cross made of wood. That's a different kind of kingdom, right? Not the kind of kingdom that Herod was leading. Two different kinds of glories, right? Herod's glory was of the temple and of robes and of regalia and of servants. Jesus' glory was the manifestation of the goodness of God, the self-giving, life-giving, laid down his life for others so that you and I could experience his goodness. Right? The goodness that he brought, the Bible says, as he walked around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the enemy. The goodness that says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The gift that was his life. And it was two different kinds of peace. A peace that was superficial, that was on the outside, that was really just a calmness, just a lack of dissent. But the peace that Jesus brings is that peace that's on the inside of us. That peace, and I love the picture, right? Peace. I remember being in a Bible college class with assisting Pastor Deborah, and she was asking the students, what is peace? So she says, Teresa, what is peace? Oh, man, don't put me on the spot. And I said, absence of chaos. 
And she's like, no, 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 no. Right? So she t- then she began to describe to us the story about a painter who was asked to paint a picture of peace. Right? And he painted that typical, typical green pastures and still waters and a shining sunlight and a beautiful picture. And the person who had commissioned the painting is like, no, 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 that's not peace. Go and try again. And then he paints a picture of a massive storm. The wind is blowing, right? There's chaos everywhere. There's thunder and darkness portrayed in this painting. And in the middle of the painting, there's a tree. And in that tree, there's a nest. And in that nest, there's a bird that's asleep. That's peace. Peace doesn't require that our situations are calm. It doesn't require that everything is working out like we think it should. The peace that our king brings is a peace from the inside out. It's a peace that keeps me when it is stormy, when it is cloudy, when it is thunderous, when the politics and the culture and the society is shutting down and they're saying don't gather and don't celebrate and don't be together and be afraid and be anxious and all of these things. We can be wise, but we don't have to be fearful and we don't have to be anxious because we have a peace that our king has given to us, that this kingdom offers to those of us who've stepped in out of the kingdom of this world and into the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said to me and to you in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. We can be grateful and live lives of gratitude because our King has given us peace. In the darkest and the most challenging of situations, we have a King who has given us something that cannot be bought. The Magi were grateful because they knew that this was a king of peace, that he was going to bring salvation to the world, and they brought their gifts. Let's be challenged in this Christmas season to carry hearts of gratitude because we have the king of peace who has gone before us, who is with us, who sustains us. One more scripture before we close tonight. Colossians 3.15. Again, we're presented with a choice. Let, you know, anytime it says let, that means it's up to us. It's up to us to choose to lay hold of the promises. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Be thankful. We can live our lives in this Christmas season with an expectancy of a God who's always moving. He's always doing something. He's made a way and he will continue to make a way. We can live our lives with confidence, right? Because he is God. He is king. He's paid the price. His word is true. He has spoken before anybody knew what was going to happen. He spoke prophetically and he declared the things that were to come. And we can build our life on that word. And let's live with gratitude 
And out of that gratitude, watch our hearts be filled with thankfulness. Filled with thankfulness for the God who's made a way when there was no way. The God who loved us, who loved me when I was unlovable. Right? We love him because he first loved us. Are you grateful for that tonight? Are you grateful for the love of God in your life? Are you grateful that we can have expectancy, that we can have confidence, that we can be grateful regardless of what's happening in this world because God is moving. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.